Amen, amen. Do you believe that this morning, that he is the way maker? Okay, that was not convincing. Do you believe that this morning, that he is the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper? Do you believe it? Say amen. amen. I hope you believe that. We're glad you're here this morning, and we hope that you are having a great New Year so far. You know, when you think about New Year's, there's so many things that kind of float around our heads when you think about a new year. And of course, obviously, most of us think about the millions and millions and millions of Americans that when a new year kind of clocks in, what's the one thing that millions of Americans do? They make a what? A New Year's resolution. Now, some of you say that with such disdain. You're like, a New Year's resolution, right? You're like, because you've tried it and you found out that it hasn't worked for you because maybe you said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin the year with this resolution. And then three days later, you broke it. And then the next 362 days, you're just going back to the way you used to live it. But if you think about it, I think it's important. I think it's important for all of us to take a look back at 2019 in our lives and find out, hey, where were we at? Where, do we, where were we at spiritually last year? Where were we at relationally last year? And where do I want to be this year? I, th- I think, listen to me, I think it is healthy and necessary for everyone in the room to take a look back and have some goals and a vision for 2020 for your life this year. I think you need to have goals personally. I think you need to have goals relationally. I think you need to have goals professionally. You need to have goals as you move into the new year. In fact, I'll just be honest with you, I've sat down and made some of those goals. I've talked to people in the room that have made some of those goals. I have some goals in my life personally. I have some goals that I've written down for me as a husband. I have some goals that I've written down for me as a dad. I have some goals for me spiritually as I think about where I was at last year, where I want to be this year. I mean, I've taken out and written some goals down, what I want to see God do in my life, my life personally In 2020, I've also got some goals I've written down as it relates to other areas of my life. But I've also have some goals that I've written down that I want to see God do in our lives as a church. Pastoral roles, I guess maybe you would call them. About maybe our our growth. Maybe it's our growth healthy-wise, our growth numerically, about how to get more people through the door, how to better serve our community, how to better reach our community, how to see more people saved, how to see more people baptized. I mean, I've got all kinds of goals about like small groups, getting more people into small groups where life really happens. I've got a lot of goals, and I think it's healthy for us as believers to have goals. Do you believe that? Say amen. Amen. I think we do. Because it's like this. I had a pastor one time tell me, and he was talking about worship. He said, if you enter into worship and you expect nothing, guess what you're going to get? Nothing. And I think if you go into 2020, and see, some of you look back at 2019, you're like, that was terrible. <laughs> that, was, that was like the worst year of my life. It's got to get better from here. Or some of you look back at 2019 and go, man, that was great. I just hope it keeps continuing through this new year. Regardless, I believe we need to set, listen to me, clarification, some godly goals for our lives personally, professionally, and relationally as we move into the new year. Now, here's why I think that's so important. I think one of the goals that I have for us as a church, and I have many, and I'll start unveiling those and unpacking those in the days ahead. Because listen, this idea of trusting God is going to come out through the rest of the year. But one of the goals that I have for us, East Campus, personally, individually, and corporately, is that this year, now I'm going to say it, and you're going to go, okay, every pastor in the universe today is saying that. But I want to clarify it. Here's what it is. My prayer and my goal for us is this, is that this year we would learn to trust God more. Now you say, well, that's just so preachy. It is, I know. But hear me too why I say it. And this is why we're starting here. It's because I believe that trusting God is a foundation for me seeing other things in my life come to fruition. Every other goal I have in my life hinges on 
the depth of me trusting God. Now, that's why I said you need to have godly goals. So if you're like, hey, this year, God, I, I have a goal, and I want a red Corvette. I mean, that is my goal, and I'm going to sell my kids and my kidney, and I'm going to do whatever I got. No, that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about having some real godly goals professionally. Man, I don't mean professionally like, hey, God, this year I'm going to go from the mailroom to the CEO's office. But say, hey, God, I do want you to position me. I would like to be blessed in my job so that when I'm blessed, I can give your name more renown. So that I can stand up and people can see you working in and through me in my life. I, I do want that. And I think we need to have some goals because I really believe that all the goals that I've set personally and professionally for us as a church, I believe all of them coming to fruition hinges on how much I trust God and how much you trust God. Let me give you an example. One of the goals, if, you were, if I were to ask you, what was one of my New Year's resolutions or one of my goals for 2020? And if, you know, and you probably wouldn't say this out of the gate or some of you that know me well probably wouldn't say this out of the gate. You would say, Doug, probably one of your goals, I'm assuming, I'm hoping, I'm guessing is that you would lose weight in 2020. I know you're probably thinking that, so I'm just going to put it on the table, okay? But listen, you say, well, Doug, how in the world is trusting God going to help you lose weight? Well, think about it. Do I trust God's word that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do I trust God that I'm to honor God with my body. I have news for all of us, including this guy on the stage. Four Big Macs a week is not honoring God with my body, right? I mean, there's some things in my life that I need to curtail and to change because this body, I get one. I get one. And I need to honor God with my body. And I need to, to make sure that I know that my body is a temple. The Holy Spirit of God resides in me. And I've done a terrible job with it. So my trust in God is hopefully going to shape the decision that I make as it relates to weight in the future. Now, here's the, thing, the reason I want to say that is because as we move into this new year, I want us as a body of believers to learn to trust God more. And if you think about this idea of trusting God is everywhere, isn't it? I mean, if you pulled out, like I was going to ask somebody if they had a $100 bill and I was going to take it and then I was going to say, thank you, put it in my pocket. But on the $100 bill, it says, in God we what? Trust. And oftentimes, oftentimes as believers, we talk about trusting God. But my question is this, do we really live like that? Does our government really function with the way we steward our currency with trusting God with that? No, it's just a slogan. And the thing is, for many of us in the room today, trusting God is just a slogan we live by, but it's not really how we live our life. See, when finances get tough, do you trust God enough to stay faithful in giving to God what belongs to God? When your marriage gets tough, do you trust God enough to go that his way is right and my way is jaded? When devastation comes your way, do you trust God enough to know that no matter what comes my path, that he is with me, he's for me, and he's not against me? I mean, do you really trust God? Now, all of us in the room, if I were to pull you from David all the way over here to this side of the room, what we would find out is this, is that, yeah, we all think we trust God, but what I pray for us this year is that we would learn to trust God more, deeper than what we already trust in him. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to talk about what does it really mean to trust God today. And I want you to look with me in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Now, I want to say something to you that I know that we all need to hear me say, and it's this. Sometimes trusting God makes no sense. Amen? Some of you aren't convinced of that. Sometimes, listen, sometimes trusting God and our humanly fleshly assessment of the situation absolutely makes 
no sense. Just think about your Old Testament for a minute. Remember when God told Abraham, when God called Abram before his name was changed to Abraham, said, Abram, I want you to get rid of everything you've got, and I want you to go to a place, and I'll let you know when you get there. Did Abraham trust God? He did. What about when God said, hey, Abraham, you know that son that I promised you? That son that you've been waiting, that son that you laughed at, that, that your wife was a little impatient, told you to go lay with the maidservant, and you had Ishmael. Remember that son that I promised you? Well, now you've got him. His name is Isaac. And you've got that son, that long-awaited son that I promised you. Now, here's what I want you. I want you to take him to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him on a temple. Do you think Abraham trusted God? Did that make sense? Come on. Parents, does that make sense? Does that request make any sense in the world? No. But over and over and over again, Abraham trusted God and said it was accounted to him as righteousness. What about Moses? Here's a dude that has killed somebody hanging out in the desert. God calls him up and says, Moses, I want you to go deliver my people. And he says, okay, God. And he goes, and the Pharaoh says no, and we go back 10 times. And then there's this plague, of the, 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 the death of the firstborn son, the death angel passes over. And he's got millions and millions of Israelites at the Red Sea. Pharaoh's behind him. A mountain range to the west and a mountain range to the east and a Red Sea in front of him. Do you think there was ever a moment that when Moses heard the cries of the people saying, Moses wasn't enough room in Egypt for us to die and be buried, you had to bring us out here? Do you think there was a moment he was saying, this makes no sense trusting God to bring him out here? What about you when you go through tough, life's tough things and people quote you Romans 8.28, for God works together all things for the good for those who love according to his purpose and love him, right? Sometimes that doesn't make any sense, does it? My point is this. We're going to talk about trusting God more, but I want to say this to you out of the gate. Sometimes trusting God makes no sense. But we're still to trust God. Amen? You see it all the way through Scripture. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 say this. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. Proverbs chapter 3. What does it truly mean to trust God? Here we go. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard this passage quoted, preached on, but never unpacked. And so today, I just want to unpack it for us. When we think about trusting God, this verse says everything to us. And the first thing it says is found in verse 5, the very first part. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. The first thing we see is a command to trust God. A command trust God. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been called to trust God. You've been called to trust the Lord. Now, I know in church life and in church culture, so many times you hear us talk about growing in our faith. We talk about growing in our obedience to Christ. But I want you to hear me this morning. The depth of your faith and the depth of your obedience is a direct reflection of the depth of your trust in God. Now, did you hear me this morning? The depth of your faith and the depth of your obedience is a direct reflection of the depth of our trust in God. The more we trust him, the more our faith grows. The more we trust him, the more we long to obey him. And we are called and commanded to trust the Lord. So if we're called to trust the Lord, what does it mean to trust? Webster's Dictionary says this about trust. Trust is believing in the reliability, the ability, and the strength of someone or something. Trust is believing in the reliability, the ability, and the strength of someone 
or something. So trusting God is believing that he is reliable. You know what that means? That he is faithful. That he is who he says he is and that he will do all that he's promised he will do. Trust is believing that God is reliable. He's faithful. Trust is also believing that he is able and that he is strong, meaning that he is all-powerful and can make all things happen in his timing. One of my favorite passages is the story that if you have kids, you know this from VeggieTales, Iraq, Shaq, and Benny, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember when they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar? And that last time, he's like, you got to bow before me? And they said, oh, king, you can throw us in this fire if you want to, but I want you to know something. Our God, can, you know, we may not be delivered or we may be delivered, but what we want you to know more than anything else is that our God is able. See, trusting God is believing that he is reliable, he is faithful, but also believing that he is all-powerful, that he is able and that he is all-powerful and that he is in control. Listen, even when, listen, even when, it makes no sense. Now, I want you to look at me for a moment. That's a little different feel for trust, isn't it? That for me to trust God is believing that he is faithful and reliable and that he's all-powerful and able even when what I'm faced with makes no sense. Yes, that's what trust is. And what the writer of Proverbs here tells us is even how we're to trust God. He says, trust in the Lord with what? All your heart, with all of your heart, meaning trust the Lord with everything in us. It's interesting that usually when things come up, when situations occur, that we want to take matters into our own hands. But he says, I want you to trust God. I want you to trust the Lord with all. Now, what does all mean? What do you think it means in the Greek? It means all. You're so smart, right? It means everything. There's no exclusions to that. There's no exemptions to that. It is all with your heart. Now, I find it interesting. He didn't say, love the Lord your God with all of your head. He didn't say that, did he? He said heart rather than head. Now, I find it interesting in words, and here's why. You think about it. Why would he not say head? Because in the head is the place of reasoning. It's the place of rationale. It's the place that gets jaded, why Paul tells us that we're to renew our minds, right? To be transformed by the renewing of our minds. He didn't say, listen, I want you to trust the Lord with all of your head. He said, I want you to trust the Lord with all of your heart. Why? Because the heart in the original language is, is even in the Hebrew, it gives the idea of the, it's a picture of the bowels, the inwardmost being of a person. And in the inwardmost being of a person is where faith happens. And the inwardmost being of a person is where conviction happens. And he says, listen, I want you to trust in the Lord with everything in you. And from the very core of who you are, where faith happens and conviction happens, I want you to trust God with everything in you. Not your head, but your heart. Now, I know some of you are way smarter than me, and you're going to say, but Doug, the Bible says the heart is deceitful. We're talking about a redeemed heart. A heart that has been changed, right? So here's what I would contend with you today. If you have a redeemed heart this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and your heart has been redeemed, your heart should drive your head. That the conviction and faith you have in God should drive how we see life, how we see circumstances, how we rationale things. I mean, my faith in God and my conviction that he is who he said he is and that he will do all that he's promised he will do and that he is a way maker, he is a promise keeper, all that should drive my head. It should all drive how I see life, how I see situations, how I assess things. My heart, the very core of who I am, 
drives my head. And so Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, Sir Solomon, tells us this is how we are to live, by trusting God with all of our heart. We are commanded, called, to trust the Lord. The second thing I want you to notice is found in verse, the last part of verse 5 and 6. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. The second thing I want you to notice is the method to trusting God. Hopefully you know that you've been commanded to trust him. You are commanded to trust him with everything in you. And the, the depth of your faith and the depth of your obedience is a direct relationship to the depth of your trust. And that's something just, you could chew on that all week long, couldn't you? Because some of us say we have great trust, but we don't have great faith and we don't have great obedience. Why? Because maybe we don't have great trust. But we've been commanded to trust God. But then we see a method of trust. And the first part of this method is this. He says, lean not on your own understanding. Meaning, don't lean on your own fleshly understanding. Don't lean on your own fleshly understanding. Don't trust your assessment of the situation. When you encounter something, don't immediately just trust your gut, as some people say. Don't trust your assessment. Don't lean on your own fleshly understanding. Don't trust your gut. Now you say, why is that the case? Well, let's think about it this way. We have limited knowledge, right? Anybody here know everything? Okay, yeah, Tyler knows everything. Okay, so we'll see Tyler later. But I mean, do any of us know anything, everything? No. Which means if we only know in part, we can only understand in part. Are you with me on that? If we only know in part, that means we can only understand in part. And so we're not to trust our own assessment situation because we don't have know everything. And partly because, listen, the reason we shouldn't trust our own assessment of the situation is most of the time our assessments are selfish. Most of the times I look at a situation and whether I say it out loud or not, here's the things that are thinking in my brain is going, how will this benefit me? How can I shift this and navigate this to works out better for me. See, one reason we should trust our own assessment is because sometimes our assessments are selfish and also because we don't know all the contingencies. I mean, the one thing that I love is if I were to go back and look over the last 29 years of my life in ministry, I could tell you different story after story after story of how God has placed me and then I could back up and I could just look back and see how God and his grand design orchestrated so much of what's happened in my life. I can see it like a puzzle that he's been putting together. I don't know all the variables. You don't know all the variables. You don't know all the contingencies. So we shouldn't trust our own assessment because only God knows everything. Only God knows how he's working. Only God knows how he's putting the pieces of the puzzle of your life together. And let's be honest, some of us got a lot of pieces of our puzzles, don't we? But God is doing it. And so we shouldn't trust our own assessment because we have limited knowledge, therefore we can only understand in a very limited way. And we need to be reminded that we are called to trust God not understand. Now, I want you to write that down. We have been called to trust him, not always understand him. Now, for some of you, that's liberating. For others of you, that stresses you out, right? For some of you, like, okay, great. You mean, because there was a song a long time ago, BB and CC Wine and sang it. I loved it. It was a great song. It says, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Love the song because it was a reminder to me that I've been called to trust God even though I don't know exactly how God is working. Even though I don't know all the contingencies, I don't know all the variables, I'm not sure what God is always up to, I can still trust him. For some of us, that's liberating. For others of us, that's frightening because we're control freaks, right? 
And we want to know everything, how it's going to go. And so the first method he gives us here is, listen, here's the method of trusting God. First of all, don't lean on your own understanding, your own fleshly understanding. You have limited knowledge, therefore you have limited understanding. And when we truly lean on our own understanding, that's insanity. Think about it. It's insanity to totally trust our own understanding. Why is it insanity? Well, first of all, because somewhere along the line, when we trust our way and not God's way, we're saying we're smarter than God. And another reason insanity is because when we trust our own understanding, we are pushing God out of the equation and making us the judge and jury for what we're going to do. I just want you to know that if you're going to trust God, first thing you got to do, the first method is this, lean not on your own understanding. Put aside your fleshly understanding. Put aside your understanding that is in part because your knowledge is in part. Put it aside and be reminded that we've been called to trust him, not always understand what he's up to. But then the second part of the method, we all know it. He says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, what? Acknowledge him. Say that with me. Can you all sound like you're asleep this morning? In all your ways, what? Acknowledge him. Now, what does that mean? In a nutshell, it means this. Bring God into the equation. We're, in everything, relinquish control. In everything, relinquish control. Say, hey, God, I'm doing this thing your way. I'm going to follow your lead, God. God, I'm going to seek your answers and your guidance. I'm not going to rely on my own understanding, God. I'm going to trust you and everything and every situation. God, I'm going to relinquish control, and I'm going to give it to you and say, God, you do what you do best, and God, I'm just going to seek your guidance. I'm going to seek your direction, and I'm going to seek your wisdom, not my wisdom. So it's all about bringing God into the equation and everything, relinquishing control, and also it means to recognize him in everything, meaning this. In every situation, there's one thing that we should all be reminded of. You ready? Here it is. God. He's on the throne, and you're not, right? He's on the throne. Remember when our kids were little, we taught them that song, he's got the whole world in his hands? Listen, he has galaxies, universes in his hands. He's on his throne. See, trusting God is all about not leaning on my understanding, but in all my ways, acknowledging him. In all my ways, relinquishing control of the situation to him and seeking his guidance and his direction and his wisdom and recognizing he's on the throne and he's in control. That's what it means to trust God. Now, if we were all honest, and I just want to share a little bit here, that's hard, isn't it? Come on, anybody in the room besides me and Tyler think that's hard? You know, probably, I don't talk about it a lot, but probably one of the toughest times of my life was uh, May this year, four years ago, my dad passed away. And that wasn't the hardest part. Hardest part was when I moved back to Popper Bluff from St. Louis in 2005. And my dad was a railroader by nature, which means he had a vocabulary that was bigger than Webster's. And it wasn't good by any stretch of the imagination, if you know what I'm talking about. And my dad and I and my pastor played golf every Friday afternoon, every Friday afternoon. And my dad's big thing was this, and I'm not saying this on any, because we have great deacons in the church, but my dad's big thing was this, like, people in the church are all hypocrites, right? You ever heard that one before? And you may think that, <laughs> yeah, all hypocrites. He's like, I got all these deacons, and they're at the pool hall with me, right there beside me, you know what I mean? He was like, you know, and I would continue to tell my dad over and over and over again, so my pastor separately, is that one day, Jim, that was my dad's name, Jim, he said, one day you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life, not their life. And over and over and over again, we began to tell that, and I remember it was 2008, my dad, we were playing golf one day, 
And he said the same thing. And I told him the same thing I've been saying for like three years at that point. And we go back to his house. We're cleaning our clubs. And I just remember there's something changed in my dad. And it was this moment where he decided that his faith had become real to him. And he truly surrendered his life to Christ. Not long after that, I got to baptize my dad. It was great. My dad was like reading the Bible like four and five hours a day. And I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? Why are you reading it four or five hours a day? He's like, son, I'm catching up for lost time. I'm like, oh my gosh. And so my dad became radical about his faith in Christ. And then two years after that, we planted a church. And my dad joined the church plant. And he was setting up and tearing down. And one day we were even setting up stages. And one of the stages fell and broke his thumb. You could tell his thumb was like going the wrong direction. He said, I'll be right back. And he went to the emergency room. They fixed his thumb. And he came all the way back to church. And he's like, man, I'm not missing this. I mean, my dad was committed of committed. I mean, I got four years with my dad being saved. That was from the best four years of my life with my dad. He got to coach James in baseball, my oldest. He got to teach Daniel my middle one who's off military and golf. He got to teach David his love of trains because my dad had this massive train set. And then one year, I remember we took a golf trip at the church. My dad tried to tee it up in the middle of the fairway. My dad was a stickler for rules of golf. And that was the journey we began with my dad with dementia. And I began to lose my dad slowly. And I'm just going to tell you, man, it was horrible. And when I think about my dad, I have some really good memories of my dad, but that last five or six years of just him not remembering and him struggling and his paranoia. My sister was the apple of his eye, and he didn't even want her around the last two years. And there's a part of me in my own understanding going, God, I don't get this. God, when I look at my situation, I'm kind of ticked off about it. God, I just got my dad. He just committed to you. He's living passionately for you, God. I don't understand why this is happening. And it was this verse that reminded me, I don't have to understand. But what I do have to do is trust that he has a plan. Now, you can look at me and say, well, Doug, it's been four years since your dad passed away. Have you seen Romans 8, 28 come to full circle? Nope. I haven't seen all the good that God's going to do through it. But I know that he is. I know that he will. And I've had to learn in my own life. I'm not just talking to you. I'm saying in my own life, I've had to learn that trusting God means not leaning on my own understanding. Because you know where my own understanding took me during that journey? Can I just be honest? You know where my, my understanding took me? It took me a place of doubt. Not my salvation, but doubting, is God the way maker? Is he the promise keeper? Is he a miracle worker? Why didn't you do it for my dad? But what I left with was, but despite what you do, God, I trust you. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you. I'm going to relinquish control to you. And I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to seek your wisdom and your guidance. And whatever you do, I'm okay with. See, that's what it means to wrestle through this. And I think for some of us, when we talk about trusting God, it's hard for some of you. You're so vested. You're so vested in the moment and the emotions of the moment. You are so poured into it that you're scared to death that you're about relinquishing control to God. Some of you, you have a vision for how exactly how you want your life to go. You got all the I's dotted, the T's crossed, and you know exactly where you're headed down that path. You know where you're going, and you're scared to death. If you let go a little bit, God's going to take you a different path, and that scares you to death. For some of you, can I just be real honest? You're just stubborn. You like it your way. And I'm just telling you with all of my heart, as someone who's been wrestling with this passage for months now, as we looked at this day, we've got to trust God more. If my faith is going to grow, if my obedience has got to grow, my trust has to grow. And the same thing's true for you. 
One more thing I want you to notice in the passage, and it's this. Look at me in verse 6, the last part. In all your ways acknowledge him, and what will happen? And he, let's read together, will make straight your paths. Let's read together. And he will make straight your paths. He'll make your paths straight. That's the promise. The promise of trust, if we trust the Lord, is that he will make our paths straight. That's the promise. We have the command to trust God. We know the method to trust God. But the promise is if we will trust God, he will make our paths straight. Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean your paths will be easy. Sometimes we think if we trust God, God's going to give me an easy path. Probably not going to happen that way. It's not easy. Trusting God doesn't mean your path is not going to be filled with obstacles. You may have more obstacles now. I mean, trusting God is not in saying that, hey, I'm going to trust God. doesn't mean your paths are going to be easy. It doesn't mean they're going to be free from obstacles. And listen, it doesn't mean following him is going to come natural. And let me tell you something I just thought about this the other day. Following him doesn't mean his version of straight is your version of straight. Right? Him making your path straight doesn't mean it's your straight. It's his straight. So it doesn't mean those things. But let me tell you what it does mean that he will make your path straight. You ready? Here's what it does mean, is that he will give you clarity. When you seek his wisdom and you seek his direction, he will give you clarity. What it means is this, is that when things get tough, he will give you the strength to get through it. When your path is filled with obstacles, either he will remove those obstacles or he will give you the strength to move through those obstacles. And then when all life falls apart, he will lead us to where he wants us to go. That's what it means to make your path straight. That he will give you clarity, he will be with you, he will give you strength, and he will give you the power to move through whatever is in front of you. That's what it means to make our path straight. And so my prayer for all of us, starting with this guy on the stage, is that 2020 would be a year that we would say, I want to trust God more. And not be a slogan like on the dollar bill, but something that's aching deep within us. That we would truly say, okay, I know that I've been called to trust him. And I know that my faith and my obedience can only go as deep as my trust goes. But now I know the method to trust him. It's not about me leaning on my understanding. It's about in all my ways acknowledging him, relinquishing control to him and saying, God, I'm good with what you do. But it's also taking the promise going, if I trust him, here's the promise. He'll make my path straight. He'll give me clarity. He'll make sure I know he's with me. He will give me the strength to endure that which seems like it can't be endured. And so my question for all of us today is just simply this. What is holding us back from trusting God like this? Well, I could think of a page full, couldn't you? I can think of a lot of things. But for you personally, what's holding you back? What's holding me back from trusting God the way that Solomon told us that we are to trust God? And whatever's holding you back, my question is this, will you surrender that to him today? We say, Lord, this is what's keeping me from trusting you, and, you know, and I'm, I'm going to give it over to you today. And then second of all, I'd ask you, what area do you need to trust him? Maybe some of you need to trust him with your lives. You've been here, you've been coming to church, you've been hearing about Jesus. We walked a year through the gospel of Matthew. You saw Jesus like you've never seen him before, but yet you've never given him your life. Maybe you need to trust him with your life today. Maybe you're here and you're following Jesus and you've never trusted him by letting the world know you follow him through baptism. You need to be baptized. What do you need to trust him with today? 
Is it your finances? Is it your marriage? Is it your relationships? Is it your career? Is it the direction with your life? Is it your children? What is it that you need to trust him with today? And will you relinquish that to him? Will you lay that before him today and say, Lord, this year, I want to trust you more. And here's the first area I'm turning over to you. See, when I went off the list of things, many of you said simply something like this. Doug, I need to trust God in all those areas. Well, just pick one, all right? Pick one. You know how you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? So pick one. You can't tackle them all. Start with one. So which one will it be? My prayer for us as a church is this, is that, we, that I pray that we would begin to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do right now. I'm going to ask everybody just to close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm going to walk you through an invitation tonight, this morning. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to pray over us. I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to tell you what I'm going to ask you to do after the prayer as a means of invitation. Father God, I love you. And I thank you for today. And I thank you for all that you do in us. And God, I know it's so easy for all of us to look at our lives and go, I need more faith. I need to obey more. But God, I really think all that hinges on how much we trust you. When we truly trust you, our faith is stronger. When we truly trust you, we have a greater desire to obey you. And God, I pray for not just a church this morning, but people, individual people, that today we would leave this place having purposed in our hearts that 2020 is going to be a year where we trust you more, where we lean not on our own understanding that can lead us to doubt and confusion and chaos. But we, in all things, we would acknowledge you. We would relinquish control to you. We would seek your wisdom, your guidance, and your hand. And that, Lord, we would claim and bank on your promise that if we trust you with everything in us, that you, God, not us, but you would make our path straight. That you would remind us that our paths are paths that you've put before us. And when obstacle comes, you will give us strength to make it through it. And when life gets hard, you're there with us, putting your arm around us, and as David said, walking us to the valley of the shadow of death. He said, I fear no evil for you are with me. And God, we just trust that promise today. Father, we trust you because we believe that you're faithful. And if you tell us you will never leave us nor forsake us, we know we can take that to the bank today. So God, would you move in our hearts only as you can? Would you stir us today only as you can? And may we leave with the resolve to trust you more. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stay seated for a moment. Here's what I want you to do. In a chair in front of you, in your worship folder, there's a welcome card. I want you to take it out right now. Just take it out. Everybody, find one. I have to ask somebody to pass one down. That's all right. Here's what I want you to do. And if you want to put your name on, that's fine. If not, that's fine. On the back, if you really want to take this challenge seriously, I, as your pastor, want to pray for you. Not just this week, but this will go in the file, and I will pray for you every week for the rest of the year. 
That's my promise to you. So if you say, hey, Doug, I, I, need, I need to give a greater commitment in the area of my marriage. Okay, guess what? For the next 52 weeks, I'm praying for your marriage. And I want you to write down that thing that you're committing to the Lord today. That one thing you're saying, Lord, this year I'm going to commit this to you. And what I'm going to ask you to do is just take a moment. We're going to sing a song. Let this song just kind of wash over you as you consider that one thing that you're going to write down that card. And a little bit later when the offering plate passes, Elijah will tell you when. I just want you to drop it in there. But right now, let the song minister to you. Let the song stir you. And as the Lord leads you, would you write that one thing down that you're going to turn into this year? This is the thing I'm committing to trust God with. If you'll do that, do that right now. In the moment of the silence, take a moment and do that.